Yo, and welcome in to week 14 of pre-gaming the SEC. Jacob Esther, Chris Doring, back with you. SEC Championship Week of pre-gaming the SEC. No more regular season. The regular season, Chris Doring, is over. We, <laughs> I can't believe look, how fast it flew by. There you go. I was, I was hoping I'd set you up for that one. Put it on a tee for you. Yep. Uh, look, we've known who's playing in the SEC Championship game for weeks, but now... It is here. And so, you know, we've got a lot to get to here on this week's podcast because we've got still beers we've got to pass out for uh, rivalry week. And what we saw there, we've got last calls for the season. We've got SEC coaching carousel news. And then we've got, well, the pre-gaming portion of pre-gaming the SEC to preview what we're going to see here coming up in Atlanta in a couple of days. Yeah, it's uh, it's a fun week, man. It's a, it, it's gotten even more interesting the last couple of years with the anticipation of the transfer portal opening up and and what that looks like with names uh, entering the the with their desire to enter the transfer portal. Um, certainly, you know, just uh, three weeks away from from national or early signing day on December twentieth, you got uh, bowl announcements that'll be coming out here in the next few days. Uh, but maybe most importantly for our con- our conference and for the the national picture, uh, this Alabama Georgia game and um, the implications that are at, at, at uh, on the line for it and and the discussions we can get into yeah. you know what that means if Alabama were to able to win what that means for the conference but uh, for now let's just uh, celebrate what is the uh, the the matchup of the last couple of years it's it's hard to. To to believe this too, like I, I just I, I'll, I'll save it for my uh, for my last call, but it it's it's uh, more things change the more they stay the same, man. Yep, without question. And let's go ahead and get to the hold my beer portion of the podcast, and that's where we typically start. And we're not going to change it up because we did have games last week, and for me. Mine's going to be a guy that I just, you've heard me talk about him a thousand times, but it's going to be Cody Schrader again. Cody Schrader, Missouri running back. It just, the, what he's done the last five weeks here. Now he's done it all season long, but really if I'm honing in just on the last five weeks, he goes 26 carries, 159, two tuds against South Carolina. You come back against Georgia, 22 for 112, a touchdown, 5.1 yards per carry. You come back the next week, you have over 100 receiving, then you have 205 on the ground, right at six yards per carry, and another score. You go to the Florida game, he has 148, 6.4 yards a carry, another touchdown on the ground. And then last week against, you know, your rival, Rivalry Week, and Missouri certainly has others that they care about as well, but the SEC put Arkansas there at the back end of the schedule, and it's become a thing, certainly. And you go 27 for 217, eight yards per carry and another score. And you and I, we caught up with Eli Drinkwitz earlier on off campus. I mean, he lights up when he talks about this guy, like the ultimate teammate. He runs the outside zone like it's supposed to be ran. I said this to you earlier, clinic tape across the country. It's going to feature Cody Schrader running the outside zone because he runs it literally better than anybody I've seen in the last five, six years. I mean, he is truly like, that's what he is made for. And so, I'm going to pass out my last beer of the regular season going to him in the form that he's in, but certainly 27, 217, eight per for a touchdown and then hit a big 49 yarder. That's another thing. Last point here on Cody Schrader, 49, 42, 35, 52. He's got big playability. He's not like I was, right? I I was somebody, I was going to live in like five to seven yard runs. 
and sure, like I, I'd break one here and there, but I was going to live in that sweet spot of five yeah. to seven yards. I mean, he's got home run ability. He'll go 21, he'll go 35, he'll go 50, something like we're talking about. And I think that's what people don't give him the credit for that he deserves is he's not just three yards in a cloud of dust. He can certainly hit those big plays, and that's why you see these rushing totals like they are. Well, and maybe the most amazing part about it is that everybody in the stadium, offense, yeah. opposing defense, the coaches, the fans, the broadcasters all know what's coming. They've lived and died with outside zone plays the last half of the season, and that has been something that you know Drink told us that the coaching staff themselves have embraced. Kirby Moore, maybe not a huge outside zone guy. The receiver's coach asking for, like, yeah. if my receiver coach ever asked for more run plays, I'd have a problem with that. But that's <laughs> what the reality was that was taking place because of how beneficial that play was. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, I can't say enough. It's, it's, I know Drink wants to downplay the, the, the story of, about Cody and coming from yeah. the Truman State and, and what he did and walking on and believing himself. But I, having traveled a similar path, can't help but appreciate that even right. more and 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 really celebrate somebody for going out doing something they were passionate about that probably tons of other people told him he wasn't able to do real quick before we get to your beer that you're passing out in the last five games they have run 146 running plays 61 42 percent have been outside zone yeah. so to your point I know it, you know it, Big Turp knows it, everybody knows it, and they still can't stop it. And as a running back, that's the ultimate feeling. Yeah, and, and let's credit the offensive line, too. They are a large part of everybody knowing what's coming and still not yeah. being able to stop it. They've done a nice job there up front. For my hold, hold my beer, I'm going to paint a little picture for you boys, okay? All right, Kentucky. I've been dating Kentucky for several <laughs> years now, in love with Kentucky, in fact. Yeah, you are. We both are. very passionate about Kentucky. You know what? Kentucky did me wrong. They, they've they've been snapping other 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 girls. They've been, you know, yep. you know, doing some things to to take advantage of my kindness and and how much I've, mm -hmm. I've you know felt for Kentucky. And yeah. uh, I broke up with Kentucky. I, I made a pledge to you, Last as my week. friend, that I was yeah I wasn't going to fall for the Kentucky, um, you know, the, the 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 words anymore. Words weren't good enough. It was all about actions. And then I saw Kentucky at the bar. Kentucky saw me at the bar. Kentucky was standing at the <laughs> bar with the rest of Kentucky's friends, and they said, "Hey." Hold this yeah. beer. Watch this. Watch me suck. Yeah. Watch me suck her back in. Walked over to me, and they did exactly that for the yeah. fifth straight year. Beat their arch rival Louisville and beat them after being down by ten points multiple times in the second half. They did it with a complete effort with the defense creating three turnovers with Barry and Brown returning a hundred yard uh, kickoff return for a touchdown when they needed it most. Devin Leary wasn't all that sharp, but he he did throw some dimes. And how yeah. about our guy, Ray Davis? Three touchdowns, two of them through the air. Tough yeah. running defense they were going up against. As Louisville was the 13th rated run defense in the country. Only gave up 98 yards a, a, a game. They lived up to that hype. But Ray Davis, one of the great dual threat running backs, did it through the air and creating some mismatches. And Devin Leary dropped the ball to him perfectly on a couple of those throws. Just can't say enough about the resiliency. And this is a Kentucky team that lost five of their last six ball games heading into that. After a yeah. five and zero start, lost five of six. Really, no reason to 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 feel like they had anything going for them as they were getting ready to play the number ten team in the country that was going to head to the ACC title game the week after. Their coach was rumored all day long to be leaving to go to yeah. Texas A and M. That distraction on top of it, 
and Kentucky finds a way to win that ball game. The biggest win, by the way, Hester, the SEC's biggest out-of-conference win this season from Kentucky, knocking off Louisville, the number 10 team in the country. I'm back, baby. I am back. I love you, and I'm, I'm here for it going forward. You didn't delete the contact. The contact was still on the phone, and you were just yearning to see those little dots come across yeah. your screen. And as soon as you did, you wrote right back to Kentucky. I am a sucker for Kentucky, and I am all back in. My man. <laughs> hey, it's okay. You know me. I'll be right there with you, and we'll get to it later on. You're right, Mark Stoops, rumored to go to AM. I'm glad he's staying. I love yeah. him at Kentucky. And I think Mike Elko is going to be a great coach. Again, we'll get to that later. I love the fact that Mark Stoops is going to be in Lexington. I, I agree with you 100%. And not that I I think he would have done tremendously well at Texas A&M. He's got the resources. He's got the the facilities. Yeah. He's got the, the players there to recruit from. But something about what he's built there in, in Lexington and something about the unfinished business that feels like is left to 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 be accomplished. And so I'm I'm excited to see what the the next uh, couple of years looks like and and the commitment you know from the boosters to give him what he needs to be yeah. able to compete at the highest level in this conference and nationally as well. All right. Let's get to our last call portion of the podcast. Now for me and you can go any direction CD that you want to, I'm going to spend my last call on a regular season in its totality last call and it's going to be you probably guessed it, for LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels. The season that he is having right now is truly remarkable, right? 3,812 passing yards, right? He leads the country as far as quarterbacks in rushing yards, over 1,100 yards on the ground, right? Leads the country with 4,900-plus total yards, 40 passing touch and, uh, touchdowns, 10 rushing touchdowns, 50 5-0 total touchdowns. Yards per attempt, 11.7. Every time he drops back and throws the football, it's a, uh, a first down plus some, 11.7. Yards per attempt rushing leads the country at 8.4 regardless of position. Not leads quarterbacks, leads all rushers with 8.4 yards per carry. Yards per play, 10.71. So every time he takes a snap, it's a first down, 10.7. Seven one, truly remarkable number. Uh, passer rating two hundred eight, QBR ninety five point six. Plays of twenty plus yards ninety. Next closest sixty two. Uh, points responsible for leads the country in this three hundred and two. I mean, look, I could continue yeah. passing first downs one hundred eighty nine, rushing first downs fifty two. All this leader in the clubhouse. Total first yeah. downs two hundred forty two. All right. So all of that being said, how about this? Jaden Daniels would lead the last 11 Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks in passer rating because this would be the all-time record at 208. Yards per attempt, that 11.7 that I talked about. Adjusted yards per attempt, 13.6. Yards per carry, like I talked about, 8.4. The last 11 Heisman winners. Total yards per play, that 10.7. That would be a leader as well. Yards per game, 412.2. So all of those stats that I threw out there, would lead the last uh, uh, 11 Heisman-winning yeah. quarterbacks. I mean, C.D., truly remarkable what he's done now. The offensive line's played great. He's got Malik Neighbors, who is a Bolitnikoff finalist. Brian Thomas Jr. was a semifinalist. He has got weapons. Logan Diggs was great. Josh Williams was great. He, he's got guys. But watching him this year, if he's not the best player in the country – then I don't I don't know who is, right? And he might not win the Heisman. Maybe they give it to the best player on the best team because that's what 
you know, some people interpret that award to be, but he has been remarkable. And we talked about it. If he just had any defense, yeah. if they just had a, a decent defense, I think we're talking about a completely different season for LSU. But Jaden Daniels, he held up his part because he has been special. And those are generational numbers. When you start talking about best passer rating ever, I mean, that's that's rarefied yeah. air. Yeah, and, and it's it's so funny to me the similarities between that 2019 LSU offense that you know the 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 quarterback that is changed the game the way that Burrow and and Jaden Daniels have the receivers three of them then with with Jefferson Chase and Marshall and the three now with with uh, uh, neighbors and and Thomas and and Lacey. Um, the offensive line this year has done a tremendous job. What was a liability last year was a little bit of a, a, a not a little bit, it was a lot of a strength. I mean, it was really well done by the entire offensive unit. Mike Dembrock deserves a lot of credit, too, for what he's done yeah. to put his fingerprint on this offense and the play calling. But uh, Jaden Daniels, you, you, you framed it very well historically uh, against the last 11 Heisman Trophy winners. I don't even know why it's a debate. I've been on this train since back in, in September. I think he was the 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 best player in the country. When I saw some of the things he was doing earlier in the year, I've, I've I've been very vocal about it. I got some retweets by the LSU Tigers folks on some stuff that I I said about you know him being the most valuable player, the most outstanding player, the best statistical player, and maybe the 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 biggest thing that I look at. You talked about you know what could have been uh, what could have happened if they had a little bit of defense. What would have had had they not had Jaden Daniels? You're talking about a team that wouldn't <laughs> be eligible right now. So I think that speaks to the type of season that he yeah. single-handedly has uh, helped deliver the fans there in Baton Rouge. But uh, yeah, I can't wait to watch that uh, Heisman Trophy ceremony coming up in a little over a week, and uh, hopefully look forward to having our our second uh, LSU Tiger recipient in the last four years. Yeah, I'll and. I mean, what it would what it would mean to LSU in yeah. recruiting if you can say, hey, 2019, 2023, right? Short period of time. We've got two Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks. Look, LSU was a graveyard for quarterbacks for about a decade there. They were yeah. playing great defense and didn't have great quarterback play. And to be able to have that in recruiting, like through the portal, because both those guys came through the portal. They're yeah. both transfers too. Like that's it's an added benefit in today's college football. So yeah, I mean, it would do a lot for that program and in a season you don't want to say i mean highly disappointing they were nine and three but they had you know 10 and 2 11 and 1 aspirations to get back to atlanta that would save some of the disappointment of being nine and three yeah you know you you make a great point too with uh the, the both of those lsu quarterbacks that have won the heisman being portal guys that's going to become the norm i think what you saw last year or two years ago with with bryce young winning the Heisman trophy like that, that's going to be the exception to the rule. I mean, there's only yeah. one quarterback that gets a chance to, to, to usually be the starting quarterback and guys are so ready to, to transfer and, and take their opportunities elsewhere that I, I think we're going to continue to, you know, we're talking about two Heisman trophy favorites or three Heisman trophy favorites that are all uh, portal guys this year. In addition to Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix and Michael Penix jr. Also taking the, yep. the portal route. So I do think it's something that's going to uh, continue uh, a trend that has uh, started here in the last few years. Um, let me give you my my last call, and my last call goes to what was a fantastic season of college football, an amazing season here in the SEC. Uh, wasn't necessarily great for my alma mater. wasn't uh, great outside of the the Heisman Trophy type, type season that 
that uh, Jane Daniels is having at your at your alma mater. But man, to see Ole Miss win ten games the way that they did, only to lose to Alabama, Georgia, the the, the teams playing in the in the SEC championship game this weekend, to see Missouri uh, do what they did, getting to the ten win mark, uh, to see you know just how competitive the league was from top to bottom, see how competitive the college football landscape is like it has been a, yeah. a tremendous year and i cannot wait for what's going to be to come here in 2024 with the 12 game um playoff or 12 team playoff that's going to be implemented next year uh but as much as we talk about all of these these different changes and the competitiveness and the storylines it still comes down to, to two teams alabama yeah. and georgia and as i said before the more things change the more things say say the same and in this instance has we get two teams that have both gone 8-0 in conference play this year. It hasn't been often in the history of the Southeastern Conference Championship game yeah. where we've gotten two undefeated teams within the SEC, but that's exactly what we get here. They were tried multiple times, Alabama more so than Georgia was this year, but these two teams meet up again in, in what has been a series of epic matchups in, in Atlanta, Georgia, that have largely you know gone the way of the Alabama Crimson Tide. And we'll talk about yeah. it as we preview the game, but Nick Saban, Alabama very comfortable playing in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Yeah, without question. And I like what you said there about a couple of programs now. Can Ole Miss build on that? Because last year it looked like they were going to build off that 10-win season, and then they faltered after a 7-0 start, right? And, and you end up losing five games with a bowl loss there. And, like, for them the challenge is, man, because it did – it looked different even within this year. Can they put another one of those years together? And then same thing for Mizzou. And you and I have talked about it. What Eli's doing there in high school recruiting, they've never really had that kind of success. I mean, they're getting top five players in the country to commit to them, right? And so they're they're really putting a border around their state. And it's the state where they're the only FBS program. And they play really good high school football in like the St. Louis area and other pockets of Mizzou. And they're doing big things in the NIL space. And it's allowing Mizzou to get different players in there. And they're, you know, they're doing things to keep Luther Burden in a Mizzou uniform and not going elsewhere. I know they lost Lovett to Georgia, but to keep him like that, those things are big. And so can Missouri build on what they did this year? Because I think they can. I think this is a program that is really getting some momentum that they've never really had before. They're probably going to play in a New Year's Six bowl game, right? No matter what happens. Saturday in Atlanta, like Missouri is going to have a great chance to play in one of those bowl games. They're firmly in the top 10 right now, right? They've got, you know, the lead on Ole Miss who's at number 11. So that, that helps, man, that helps your program. That helps, you know, I, I go back to like my time at LSU, like we played and I know they won a national championship in 03, but we won one in 07 and in 06, we played in a sugar bowl against Notre Dame. Right. And that kind of set up the run that we had in 07. Yeah. When you look at 2019 LSU, they played in that 2018 Fiesta bowl that kind of set up the foundation and the run that they had in 2019. So these new year six bowl games, at least to me, they mean a lot. And for Missouri, a team that doesn't get to those very often, that is going to help that program continue to try to have that growth and stability of winning 10 games, nine games, 11 games, whatever it might be that year. I think those New Year's six games mean a lot. They mean a lot more to teams like Missouri and yeah. Ole Miss too, you know, that haven't had the, the the chances to play them over and over again, like Alabama and Georgia have that, that look like any game outside of the college football playoffs as being a, a failure. Uh, both of these fan bases are going to enjoy the opportunity to, to play and, you know, I'm excited to see how many of their their players decide that are draft eligible yeah. to to play in it and not necessarily opt out like you'll see some of the other guys doing. 
I would assume a lot of Missouri Tigers will be available for that game. That is that's that's me guessing, but that is just my guess is the fact that what you just said that's going to mean so much to those players that they are, you know, they're gonna put it on the line for Missouri yep. one last time. I'd be shocked if they didn't. All right, before we get to some SEC coaching carousel news, I want to remind you about our friends over at Richards Honda. Go to RichardsHonda.com today. And like we tell you every single week, well, they've got something for everyone over at Richards Honda Odyssey minivan. If you're looking for the Ridgeline truck, the CRV hybrid, the Accord hybrid, the pilot, the HRV, they have got something for everybody over at Richards Honda. You can find that today. RichardsHonda.com. As always, Richards Honda, home of the warm and fuzzy feeling. All right, CD, let's get into the SEC coaching carousel because last time we did the podcast, well, we knew AM was looking for a coach. We knew Mississippi State was looking for a coach, and we threw out a couple of different names, but we weren't sure who that coach was going to be. Now, for me, it's pretty quick with Texas AM. Now, the Mark Stoop stuff did happen on Saturday. It looked like he was going to become the coach, and then he wasn't. But all along, like if we went back and listened to our podcast, we talked about Mike Elko. It, it made all the sense in the world. Mike Elko had done a great job at Duke. He had been the defensive coordinator there. Every year he was the defensive coordinator in College Station. They had a defense that was 35th, I believe, was the worst they were. So 35th or better in total defense. AM's a unique place. Let's just let's call it like it's it's unique. It's got some uniqueness to it. It's got a culture that is its own. Well, he knows that because he's been there. Um, he recruited a lot of these players that are on the roster. He coached a lot of these players that are on the roster. He knows Texas high schools because, again, he's had to recruit in that state. And so in the calendar of college football today, how difficult it is, he does have the leg up on some of these things that are very difficult. And I think that makes the transition a little bit easier for Mike Elko being in College Station. Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. And 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 I know that uh, you know it probably seems even more like a win when you contrast what the feeling seemed like when the rumors about Mark Stoops being the coach and the backlash on social media, um, I, I think it, it makes AM fans maybe even appreciate the Elko hire even more. Uh, I think Stoops would have killed it there. Um, as we said earlier, I, I'm glad he's back in Lexington. But uh, it, it, Elko, for all the reasons that you just talked about, and um, you know, maybe the biggest reason being what he brought in physicality to Texas A&M when he came there as the defensive coordinator, and what he did to take physicality to what he, uh, to Duke, a program that really hadn't had a whole lot of history of being a the more physical team on the field. You saw them kind of yeah. change their mo this year, especially early in the season. But uh, I do think that that's something that A and M has to has to live on. Um, they they oh, yeah. they are a a program that really appreciates their defenses over the years, and so I think you know as opposed to like if Florida would have hired a. a you know, had a coaching vacancy and hires a, a defensive-minded head coach, it doesn't necessarily go along with what the fan base has come to enjoy with the offenses yeah. of you know, Coach Furrier and and Urban Meyer and and what they expect. But Dan I think, Mullen. For, yeah, Dan Mullen as well. But the 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 defensive uh, perspective of their fan base and and it is a, like you said, it's a different place. But they yeah. they love their defenses, and I think this is a perfect fit for them. And I'm excited to see how how that program can uh, maybe flourish under some new guidance. Yeah, and some portal news. Duke quarterback Riley Leonard, right before we hopped on the show, put himself into the transfer portal. Now, he's not committed to A&M or anything, but Max Johnson, A&M quarterback, has committed somewhere yeah. else to North Carolina. 
Uh, you know, Wegman still has years of eligibility, obviously, and he played well at times. Henderson is has a backup feel to him. I think he, you know, he certainly had some moments the last couple of games, but that's a guy that's going to be a backup quarterback for you. And so if they get Riley Leonard, I mean, that changes the game for me. I mean, I, I think that much of Riley Leonard and what he's able yeah. to do. So that's something certainly CD to pay attention to. Yeah, I'm excited to see where he lands. Uh, it, I mentioned this on off campus earlier, but like the uh, the coaching carousel certainly is is something that uh, is is very um, very well watched and something that creates a lot of drama. But I think the the, the quarterback situation is going to be even more fun to to watch and how these guys find new landing places yeah. and, and opportunities elsewhere. All right, let's go down to Starkville. Let's go down to Mississippi State. Jeff Levy is hired as the new head coach, and I think he's a really good football coach. Like I, I do. What he did at UCF, what he did at Ole Miss, what he's done at Oklahoma, I, I think that he has something that is unique enough to be the difference maker for Mississippi State. And, we'll, and so I'll get to that a little bit later. I am surprised, though, because the last couple of hires outside of Mike Leach well, they've been coordinator hires. You get Joe Moorhead from Penn State to come over, and he lasts two years. And then, you know, you hire Mike Leach, who obviously has a long resume of winning in multiple places, and you did win. Well, then, obviously, unfortunate passing of Coach Mike Leach. None of us expected it, and you made the move to bring Zach Arnett in, his first head coaching job. And at the time, like, it made a lot of sense. So you understood why they did it. But it wasn't successful. He didn't last a full year. So two of your last three hires have been coordinators that don't have head coaching experience, like a long list of it. I know Moorhead did at a smaller level, and it didn't work out for you. So I I just assumed that they were going to go after Jamie Chadwell, who had been to Charleston Southern and Delta State and Coastal Carolina and Liberty, or maybe a Willie Fritz, who Sam Houston State, Georgia Southern, Tulane, like wherever he's been, he's been a winner. So I thought that's the route that they would go just because when they've had the coordinator making the move to big time head coach, it hasn't worked out for them. Yeah. But I, I do think that this was, um, you know, a much needed, just as, as you talked about the, the Texas A&M hire needing to have somebody that understood the culture and needing to, to, uh, to have the understanding of the recruiting yeah. uh, base. Which you got it all miss. Yeah, no it, doubt. It, exactly the same thing. Like uh, Jeff Levy having the time there in the state of Mississippi, recruiting the state of Mississippi for Ole Miss, um, understanding some of the challenges and also the opportunities that present itself. It's a very talent rich state. It doesn't necessarily, you know, I, I think the, the, they were the highest in NFL talent per capita a few years back. I don't know if that's still the same, but being able to you know navigate some of those things within the state of Mississippi is is uh, something that that he has a leg up on and and, and I think having an exciting brand of offense yeah. like they they desperately need to have something that makes the fans come out yeah. and want to want to sit in and uh, and enjoy a day at Davis Wade Stadium so I I'm excited about Jeff Levy as well and uh, I think both of those hires hit exactly all of the boxes that you were looking for in, in each instance as the athletic director. Yeah, it's, it is not a gimmicky offense. And so I don't want it to sound like that. There's nothing gimmicky about it. I actually really like the offense. I think everything is up and I love the tempo of the offense, but it is different enough. I think where you can have some advantages because let's call it like it is like, you need to have a really good scheme. Like when Mississippi state has been at its best, it's been with scheme. I mean, you can make look Ole Miss as well. 
Ole Miss is scheming people to death on both sides of the football. And it's why they're winning a lot of games, winning more games than they've really, you know, ever won. Having 10 win seasons, having the potential to win 11, like they're doing things that they've never really done. And they are doing it because they've got, you know, really good coaches and they've got better players because of it. So I think it's different enough that it, it can't be that difference maker. I mean, Dan Mullen, right? And some of the stuff that he did offensively in his scheme, some of that spread option stuff. Yeah. Well, that that gave them an opportunity on Saturdays if they didn't have the same talent to be able to go out there and be successful. Yeah. No, it's going to be fun to watch, man. And uh, even <laughs> even more so respect coaches that decide to come into the SEC now more than ever with Oklahoma yeah. and Texas coming. Uh, there's a lot of other places that Jeff Levy probably could have held out for. It is the biggest stage. It, it does have the brightest lights. It has the biggest paychecks available, but it also is a meat grinder. And so I respect yeah. anybody that decides to come in and take the shot in this league. You better not come half-stepping into the SEC in 2024 because no. the league already is what it is, and then you add those two major brands like you talked about. So it's a good point by you, CD. All right, let's bring in our guy, Big Terp, because normally we would well pregame the SEC. We'd go through the full slate. We'd have a lot of games to talk about, and we would kind of rapid-fire through those games. That's how we set up the podcast. But we're SEC Championship Week this week. So Big Terp, we're going to talk about, well, the one game that we have here in the SEC. But before we do that, do we have any like numbers in front of you? Where's the line? What's the over under? Because I think a lot of our listeners might be surprised by what that number is right now. Yeah. So as we record on Wednesday night, Georgia's a five and a half point favorite and the over under is 54 and a half. So as we get into this, I also have some player props in front of me, too. So I'm, I'm going to wait a little bit on those until we start getting into the meat of this game. But just when you think about that five and a half, because all year we've seen hypothetical spreads if these teams yep. meet. That number was higher a few weeks ago, and now Bama's playing their best ball. Georgia's playing their best ball. And Vegas says it's a five and a half point difference on a neutral field. What's are your they playing their best ball though? You think it, are, are, it, you think they lost a little bit of that feeling of of you know being invincible, the way that that Georgia kind of played with their food against Georgia Tech, or the way that that you know Alabama was able to survive against Auburn there. So I I I know what you're saying. Survive. I, they, I mean, training. I don't even know what word to use for that. I mean, they won the game, and my gosh, what a throw by Milro, but. I mean, they had all but lost that game. Yeah, if yeah. we recorded this one week ago today, playing their best ball of the season. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I, I don't know if that's a look-ahead spot, Um, but I don't know if that's a weird rivalry game. Yeah. But we are where we are. And, uh, yeah, they were playing better ball throughout the season. Maybe it wasn't completely linear to the end. Um, But Georgia, five and a half. What do you think about that number? It's gone. I mean, I've seen it at six, six and a half. So it sounds like it's being bet down a little bit, CD. What was the number when uh, these two teams met in 2021 when we went to the uh, SEC title game there? Everybody was talking about Georgia. They weren't going to be able to lose. And then all of a sudden, it's Alabama as an underdog that enjoys being overlooked, that enjoys being disrespected. Well, both these teams being- love it. That, yeah. They love the yummy yeah. rat poison. Yeah, well, none none more so than Coach Saban. And, uh, you know, to, that was a five and a half point spread. Yeah, Ooh. it seemed very similar, doesn't it? And, yeah. and I, I think we've talked an awful lot about how comfortable Coach Saban is in Atlanta. I think he's 10 and one in that city and ball games involving his Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, I think he's undefeated in Mercedes Benz Stadium. Yep. 
So it, it just, yeah, golly, it, it it's hard to pick against a team that's won 29 straight games. It's won two national titles in a row, but something about getting points in this ball game that seems kind of appealing. I'm not ready to go on record, yeah. but you're getting close to a touchdown as a team that's had that much success. It's uh and an, an X factor quarterback that can kind of rescue you when, when things maybe don't go the way you scripted them to go. This. So yeah, this, this game is like both teams. It's like, which one's going to feel more disrespected? Like both coaches love to kind of, you know, rally their troops around that. But when you start looking at some of the individual matchups and you start going, you know, position by position, like I still give Georgia the favor in, in almost every position, but like with Alabama down the stretch, they just continue to find ways. Like they just continue to to maybe win games ugly sometimes, but they continue to find ways. And so I, I wonder like what that one matchup's going to be. Like for me, like if I if I'm just initial thought that popped into my head, like Alabama receivers have to make a play for Alabama to win. Like you you can't be who you've been and somebody like LSU game. Bama receivers weren't great. Jalen Milrow won you that game. Yeah. The Auburn game. I didn't think they they had, you know, the totality of the game wasn't great. When they've had those struggles, it's been from the group of receivers not going out there and playing their part. When they've over I don't want to say overachieved, it's Alabama for God's sake. It's like the standard. Yeah. But when they've, you know, played above maybe what we thought, I'll, I'll use that phrase. Well, Jermaine Burton and Bond and these receivers have stepped up. So to me, and you're the receiver here. But it feels like Alabama's offense, to what it can be, goes with that group. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. It's funny, too, because all we heard in the offseason was getting back to being more committed to running the football. Uh, they have yeah. had some success running the football, but it's been more along the lines of quarterback-involved run game. Um, but I, I do want to give credit to Jermaine Burton because I he, he was a guy that I was not happy about leaving Georgia initially after having a, a nice freshman season there. Hadn't lived up to the hype for much of his time in Tuscaloosa the first year and a half, but then something seemed to click, and he's been having he'd be becoming more of a number one and uh, more of a reliable number one, and less of a less of a talker to the fans and to everything else. That's just, like the focus level seems to have have grown for him, and so I I do like how he's improved his route running, his consistency catching the ball, um, and and. And Isaiah Bond can't take away the fact that he, you know, caught that that touchdown uh, to win it. Uh, yeah, we, we give Jalen Milrow credit for throwing yeah. the ball in there, but uh, Bond Bond able to make a play. Yeah, so. and, and Burton had big, you know, he had big moments in that game. I just like I'm looking like I thought like to dominate the game, and like I thought they were going to both dominate the LSU game, and I think they had combined 87, 89 yards, and so it's not like they're disappearing. But like when they're dominating a game, I just that's when I think the offense is a little bit different. Yeah, I I, I think um, you know if you you look at uh, how you see the flow of the game going, and Big Turp, maybe you can give us some historical record on this as well. I feel like we've had a lot of overs between these two teams when they've played on, in in the SEC championship game, when they played on the national uh, title. Uh, field like it, it yeah. seems to me like offense for as much as we talk about Kirby Smart and Nick Saban being defensive minded head coaches it's the offenses that, that have gotten the best of one another that 54 and a half number big turf sounds kind of low to me like I, I I could see this becoming a little bit of a track meet where we do get into the 30s and um, you know the the winner ultimately 
may have to get into the low 40s. So I I, I think the, the 54 number, in fact, there's been a lot. Like the over hit last year between LSU and Georgia, I remember. There's been, uh, yeah. it feels like a lot more overs than we've had unders in the history of this game. Well, it was last year, 50 to 30, some random score. So, yeah, something like, 30, something like that. Yeah, so the, uh, the last Georgia-Alabama meeting in the national championship, that was a 33 to 18. Um, I'll have to find what that number was. But then their previous meeting in the SEC championship in 2021, that was a 41 24. Yeah. Their previous meeting before that was just regular season. That was 41 24. Their last meeting before that in the national championship, 35 28. And then before that was the um, second and 26. That was a 26 23. So you're right. I mean, yeah. of the last five meetings, four or five have gone above 50, and the one that didn't was a 49. Yeah. Yeah. I just get that feeling that it's gonna, you know, be a a game where the offenses are gonna be putting up some big plays and and because uh, yeah. I, I don't think the, you these can defenses just, aren't yeah. aren't on their normal level either. They're not. They're not on the normal level. But I also don't think you just line up and drive the football down the field against one another. I think you're gonna have opportunities to to hit some big plays. I think you'll see some some explosiveness in both offenses. But you're right. I mean, it, the 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 I actually think the the Alabama defense has minimized some of the mistakes in the secondary that have kind of haunted them the last few years that haunted them against Texas. They've been much better. I like the way that those guys come up and run support too. Uh, but I do think the the difference this year for Georgia is the, is the, 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 the front. They don't have the same yeah. sort of one-on-one pass rushers that create the uh, pressure on the opposing quarterback. They've, they've brought five, or more a little more often than they have in yeah. years past. They played a little bit more single high safety out of necessity than we probably have seen before. So it, I, I, and I feel bad saying this because you had guys like Jordan Davis and, and uh, you know, the, and the uh, Jalen Carter and the rest of these guys that were dominant players up front that um, you don't get every single year, yeah. but it's just, it, it's not what we're used to seeing from Georgia the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I mean, the Eagles' defense is what yeah. you saw exactly. on Saturdays there in Athens. Uh, Big Turf, what were those receiver numbers, the over-unders for the top two receivers there for Bama? So, Jermaine Burton, 59 and a half, and his last two games, 107 against Auburn, 105 against Chattanooga, and you mentioned it, shut down largely against LSU. He had 29 before that. So he's been over 103 times this year, and two of those yeah. were his last two games. So he's 59 and a half. Was the other the other one he went over? Was that against Texas A and M? He had he a big had 197. He went off that day. Yeah. Against so, you, but think about the 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 biggest ball games they've played this year. He's had he's shown up. I mean, what Auburn um had the 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 107 there. And then uh, uh, Ole Miss, he had a uh, two for 62, but he had that 54 yard catch too. Yeah. So, I mean, we've – and we've seen the, – the, going back in order, his longest catches per game, 68, 56, 12, 22, 44, 46, 54, 7, 49, 48. So, in more than half the games, he's had a catch go for 40 or more yards. And we're going to – I wouldn't say need to see that for Bama to be successful, but, I mean, you're yeah. obviously looking for it, especially if you're on a Jermaine Burton over, you're looking for chunk yardage. Yeah. And then the other one is Isaiah Bond. He's 51 and a half. Um, and he's hit that in. I had it up here. Isaiah, Isaiah Bond's good for a, you know, a, a big play every single game. You go back to that uh, Texas A&M game, had the little 
uh, double move yeah. on, on the dig there. Uh, seems to be, you know, they, they have a shot player too drawn up for him every ball game. Yes, yeah, so he went to 75 last week, but then 23, yeah. before, two weeks before that, and but prior to that, 60, 77, 96. Um, so both of those guys in the 50s on the over-unders. I think I like his I think I like his number big time better too. than I like Burton. That's what now, I was gonna because ask you. It's, it's like a crap my, my my mind for me just thinks that Kirby knows Jermaine Burton so well and he's gonna know what coverage he struggles with. He's going to know how to get under his skin. And we've Jermaine Burton has shown like he oh, he's a hot he's done better, but he has yeah. shown that he will talk back to you. And yeah. I think that they're gonna play the mind game with Jermaine Burton. Now he's gonna be motivated because of that. He wants to do well against his former teammates. But I think Bond is the play here. If I'm going one of those receivers to hit the over, I think I'm going Bond. I like so that. What do you guys think a Brock Bowers over under would be? 65 yards. I was going to say 68. Wow, yeah. 56 and a half. Oh, hit it. Dominant over. 52 and a half. Go over. What what is I, his what what have his numbers been like in the SEC? Bowers or Love it. Bowers. Um in recent are you saying against Bama or recently? No, it is recent against game Bama. Log. No, well, no, against Bama. What, like, what's, but what's the recent game log cuz he's kind of been in and out too. Yeah. Give us both of those big turp. Um, recent game log, he had 60 yards against Tennessee and he had 34 against Ole Miss. So those are the two since returning. He's going about yeah. 47 a game since returning. He had four for 22 against Vandy, but that's the one he, he got hurt in. Um, but before that, before Vandy, he went seven for 132 against Kentucky, eight for 157 against Auburn, nine for 121 against the UAB. Seven for fifty-four against uh, South Carolina, and then he had that one for three against Ball State in week two, but he came out uh, five for seventy-eight. So before injury, he was yeah. over. He was over fifty-four yards in five of six. He's going to go over again in Atlanta. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, especially. Did you just talk? play that? Was that what you were just doing? No, I was looking. I was looking something <laughs> up, but the um, I. I I do like I, I feel it feels like this is a game that your your best players have to have their best performances. And yeah. you know, getting a chance to rest that ankle last week. Maybe he came back a little prematurely uh from the 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 ankle uh procedure that he had, but I do think that that's one that um I like an awful lot. You know what? I, I don't even know what it is, but I like it on the offensive side. Alabama, Jalen Milrose rushing. I was over. just going to ask you, what do you think that number is? Uh, I think that number is probably 73 and a half yards. Stop the podcast. Run to your sports book, CD. What is it? 39 and a half. Wow. Oh, man. Well, so, so, I mean, that's the thing is about half game, what you thought it was. His game log, his last four games, he's at 18 for 107, and that was against Auburn. And then four weeks ago, he had 20 for 155 against LSU. But in the two weeks in between, he had 11 for 35 combined. So he's either getting yeah. 18 or 20, or he's getting like four or five. Yeah, uh, but in those two games, they needed him to do what? Be that guy. Yeah. And they need him to be that guy again in this game. I'm, yeah. I'm going way over. You like so it? Bond over, Bowers over, Milrow over. <laughs> Yeah, we're, nobody we're wants gonna, to live their life betting the unders. Yeah, no, nobody wants it. that. The do not pass line. You're 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 a negative person. Yeah, but <laughs> um, 
I do think since we only have one SEC game, obviously we're, we're we put our best bets out. They've got to be the uh, the, yeah, they the props, be props, right? Yeah, yeah they got to be the props. I, I love those three without fail. Yeah, <laughs> never ever do we forget to put those out there. We would nope. not do that. This nope. is a podcast that has been longstanding. We're in year number three of the podcast. We've we've definitely figured out the format and what we want to do by now. Yeah, right. <laughs> the fun part about that is as we address the joke here that's behind the scenes. We did not put our, our best bets out last week, and none of us even thought or remembered to remind each other that we needed no, to put our best bets no. out. Three brains put together, and none of us. The trip to fan, it was a much bigger hangover from the trip to fan than, than most people expected. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. Hey, we're going to have them out this week. Friday, maybe even Friday. Maybe. Hey, I, you I, know I feel good, actually, about Friday. We'll be to, You and I, CD, will be together in yep. Atlanta Friday night, and we'll remind each other to send them to Big Turf. Golly, I'm so sick. Big Turf's not going to be there with us, man. Sad. I know. It's a I sad, know. sad state of affairs. I mean, he is, we'll, he's the producer of the SEC. What are we doing here? You're going to miss one of the epic Friday nights in the history of Friday nights, by the way. That makes me feel way better, because I was hoping, <laughs> hoping that would be the case. You know what you're going to get, though? 2 a.m. FaceTimes. <laughs> There's no no one loves a 2 a.m. FaceTime like Chris Doring, and I love that about you, sir. And by the way, if you don't answer one of Chris Doring's 2 a.m. FaceTimes, you're not a foxhole guy. You're That's not. True. You're out. You're out of the foxhole. <laughs> both, both both guys... Under on Jalen Milrose rushing yards if you're not answering a FaceTime. From That's right. Yeah, both, both of these guys on the podcast answer. They are dedicated answerers of 2 a.m. Yeah. FaceTime, so yeah. I appreciate that. You got to look, you got to see what CD's getting into. Some, <laughs> hey, sometimes I'm with you when you're doing the FaceTime. So, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> you know, I can, I, I can certainly appreciate it. All right, CD, Big Turp, want to get both of, you, uh, both of y'all's thoughts on, on the game, kind of some final thoughts, um, maybe how you see it playing out, where you like. And well, I'm not talking about, you know, best bets and spreads and stuff, but just who you think wins the game and kind of the flow of the game, CD. Yeah, I, I, I haven't really gone on record yet. I, I, I lean, towards Georgia, but everything we talked about before with Alabama kind of relishing yeah. the underdog situation that they find themselves in, the fact that Jalen Milrow is, is going to be the best player on the field for both teams when he steps on the Mercedes-Benz Stadium field. Um, something about... Um, he can be, but if Brock Bowers is fully healthy, that changes the narrative, and I don't know that Brock he's Brock Bowers fully... is better than Jalen Milrow? If he's fully healthy, Brock Bowers is... One of the five best players in college football. Oh, I love you, but he, I, he's, not, he's not. He's not at the. He's not the quarterback position. So I understand. I do understand that he's not touching it every single time. But man, when he's healthy, he's hard. He's he's very very difficult not he's to put definitely, up there. No, no question. Not taking anything away from that, but in terms of being able to take over a ball game, mm-hmm. uh, Jalen Milrow has that ability to do no, it. Yeah, I mean he's he's done it in their biggest moments. Yeah, in in the the way that they utilized him. That what was that. Was it two or three game stretch that he ran for three and threw for three? I think it was two games because he didn't end up doing it the third, which would have broken the record. But like they have yeah. the offense runs through that dude and uh, he can get you the short yardage gains you need. He can bust off the big runs and the quarterback no call. Doubt. You can run the, the 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 ball and the scramble when things break down. I do like this though. I, I like the way that Jalen Milrow has developed a little more patience when he does break contain keeping his eyes downfield, letting some of the, some of those big pass plays that we talked about earlier have come with the, the, uh, the scramble drill and letting yeah. guys uncover and not being as tempted to run the football uh, when he breaks the, the pocket as maybe he was earlier in the season. 
Big Terp, how do you kind of see it going? Any, leaning anyway? Again, this is Wednesday night, full disclosure, so certainly things can change, but what way are you leaning right now? I mean, the number one thing I'm thinking right now is that I'm going to probably take five and a half points for Alabama. I, I'm i not confident enough to say that they go in there and win. Mm-hmm. I still think Georgia takes care of business just because, in general, I feel like the tide has turned in this game. And they got the 29 straight coming in. It feels like it's going to set up for them to still be number one in the rankings. But like, hey, Big Turk, every- may I interest you in a in a teaser, perhaps teasing up the uh, the spread to 11 and a half and, and the total down to 48 and a half? I'm going to write that down. I like that. <laughs> I, like that. I like that. I mean, dude, if you ask somebody separately. Will Alabama keep it within 11 points and will both teams score more than 24 on average? I think that's pretty safe. Yeah. Yeah. It's foolproof, hey, I do. I do want one more player prop. I'm, I'm taking this over regardless, Hester. I'm going to commit to it right now. What is uh, Marcus Roseby Jack Saints total? I actually don't have that one listed. Is I'm that not down there? I'm looking at DraftKings. And they are. They, see, if they don't have the number CD, you might have to go search for that one. I'm going to search it because he he has really developed into a nice go-to guy. How, how about this? What about do they have Dylan Bell all-purpose yards? No. Golly, lacking there. Draft what game. are we doing here? But don't you? Th- I I feel like like uh, I keep wanting to say Stetson Bennett, Carson Beck. Well, he's there for a long time. Yeah, so. a nice job of developing a rapport with with Rosemary Jack State. You know, one of the things I think that that is going to cause Alabama some issues. And I know we've, we've mentioned it before, but Mike Bobo's done a nice job with them running plays out of compressed sets and yep. what that does to create issues. It, it, it forces you to simplify what you're doing in terms of coverages. It gives you hard times in some of the crossing routes that Georgia likes to run. So I, I'm interested to see if, if, if Georgia's offense can bust a, a couple big pass plays because Alabama's defense does so much of what like passing things off and, and over routes and, and the communication that that requires. Can they maybe get something out of the, 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 the compressed sets that, that gives uh, Alabama some issues there? I think that's something that I'm kind of anxious to see. Yeah. I mean, they can be in two by two and the outside receivers like, you know, four yards from the tackle yeah. just to kind of tell you how they kind of compress what they're doing. And you're right. They, they thrive in that situation. And like Carson Beck's not somebody that we've mentioned here yet. Yeah. And God, he's playing, he's playing so damn well. I mean, he is one of the top passers in the league. He's been highly efficient and we didn't know what he would look like because we hadn't seen him. I mean, Stetson Bennett, you keep wanting to say his name because he was there for 73 years Yeah, and, and now Carson Beck takes over and, like he's not a game manager. Like they're winning because of the plays that Carson Beck is making. So, like if Carson Beck is on and Brock Bowers is healthy and Lad McConkey finds his way back into this game, I'm gonna be honest with you. I think they got too many weapons. If their weapons are there and they're available to them with the way that he is running that offense, I think Georgia is going to score a lot of points. I do. I just that offense has just been kind of waiting to explode and have, you know, the totality of their group back together. And this feels like the game because remember CD, you and I talked about it. They yeah. rested, right? And I say rested up. Maybe they, they couldn't go. Maybe that's why they got rested. We don't know the health status there, but they didn't play last week yeah. against Georgia. Tech. The, resulting, now, Lab, the result of the weekend was they got rest regardless. Yes. Lab McConkey was in street clothes. Brock Bowers was in a uniform. So maybe if he had to go, he could have, 
regardless, they're going to be ready coming up on Saturday. And I want to see that entire group together because guys have had to step up when guys were out, you know, Delpit at tight end, just other, uh, we've already mentioned yeah. right? all these guys that have had to step up. That's a scary offense when they're going with their entire group, in my opinion. And I think they're going to have some success on Saturday. Yeah. I'm excited to uh, see how it goes. We'll uh, we'll issue our our best bets, and maybe uh, you want to put out our official picks maybe on Saturday, Big Term. Yes, we, uh, yes, yes. You don't necessarily have to 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 have it as a point spread, but uh, we'll give out the the money line winners for uh, for Saturday, perhaps. No doubt about it, man. Looking forward to this game. Uh, you know, the last year, fourteen teams in the SEC getting away from divisions. It, it feels like these are the two teams that yeah. you know have been really the standard over the last couple of years, certainly. And you know, these teams being there, something feels kind of right about it. And so we're going to get another epic matchup, I think. And so, you know, playoff spot kind of on the line. It feel like Alabama still could maybe find their way into there so kind of a quarterfinal situation like we talked yeah. about yeah can't wait maybe. to see you maybe. there can't wait to watch the ball game together and uh can't wait to facetime you at 2 a.m yeah 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 we'll, we'll definitely well i'll not do that cd will do that and yeah we will have a show live saturday 10 a.m until 1 p.m eastern time even though you know central time's the best time zone eastern time there because we're in atlanta so stay tuned for that you can listen to that on sirius xm sec radio you can listen to this podcast on sirius xm sec radio channel 374 uh, YouTube, you can, you know, like subscribe to the whole deal, uh, social media at pregaming the sec is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. So give us a follow there. If you want to find the latest and greatest to happen there on pregaming the sec. And, uh, we are finally here. It's conference championship week. Look forward to it. We appreciate y'all listening every single week and don't worry. We'll be back next week as well. Thanks for tuning in to pregaming the sec.